You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So for those of you who are on social media and on Facebook, we gave the usual sermon preview that we've been trying to do. So I'm going to reset a story that some of you have already already heard and seen there. But uh, it's a true story, and it's a story that I heard not long ago about someone who was out hiking in the Wallowas. And the Wallowas are in the eastern part of our state, and if you've never been there, it really needs to make your bucket list. It's one of the most beautiful areas in our state. And Wallowa Lake in particular is just amazing. It's this big, beautiful, deep lake, crystal clear, that is set in this bowl of mountains that ring it. And if you go in the late spring, early summer, there's usually snow still on those mountains, and you feel like you're driving into Switzerland or someplace, you know, really exotic like that. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's breathtakingly beautiful. And so lots of people go there to hunt, to fish, to hike, to camp. And in this story in particular, this was someone who was out hiking way out in the back country of the Wallowas. And as they were hiking up this trail, they came around the corner and somehow they surprised this cougar that had just killed a deer. And it was just beginning to eat. And it somehow did not hear this guy walking up on it because he, I guess he'd just come around the corner And so it hurt him just as soon as they made eye contact and and saw him, and it crouched like this. And he thought, uh, where's this going to go? And as I heard that story, I thought, what a powerful picture of what this passage talks about in Genesis chapter 4. Because there's very deliberate language that's used here to describe sin like a predator, And we're going to unpack that a little bit and look at what that's really all about and what that means for you and me. So if you have a Bible, please open to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to go through verse 16. We'll put it up on the screens here, and I'll read it to you as we go. But this is how it goes. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth, opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. 
But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So let's begin to work our way back through this story. And this is such masterful storytelling because one of the dynamics we see here is some foreshadowing. Remember that we've talked about this reality that in the Bible and in the ancient Near East, Old Testament, New Testament, your name meant something. Names were not just given arbitrarily. They said something about you and oftentimes about your character. And the name for Abel, Abel literally can mean temporary, brief, shortness. Cain, on the other hand, is a little more difficult. It has a number of meanings, but one of those could be productive. A lot of foreshadowing going on here. So Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord, and the Lord favors Abel's, but not Cain's. And really, the first reasonable question is, what was wrong with Cain's offering? Does God not like fruit and vegetables? I mean, what's, what's the deal here? But that's not the real question and the real heart of the issue. And when we come to reasonable questions like that, once again, the best resource that we have in front of us is the Bible. The preaching team and I are constantly trying to make sure we're equipping you with good resources to be able to read and understand and interpret your Bible yourself. You have the same Holy Spirit that I do and, and if you know the Lord. And one of those real essential tools is when we're asking questions of the Bible, the best answer to those questions comes from the Bible. Always try to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. And we actually get a hint here. We don't get the full answer, but we do get a hint about what was going on. If we fast forward to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. The real issue wasn't the type of offering. The real issue as this helps us see, was their hearts. Motives always matter to God. And we're not given specifics, but somehow, some way, Abel's heart was right and Cain's wasn't. And, and that is what was going on here. And so Cain gets angry. Evidently, really angry. Do you know someone who wears their emotions on their sleeve, so to speak? Someone who... When they're upset, you know it. And it was clear that Cain was, was angry. And those people who wear their emotions on their sleeves, those are the people you want to play cards with, right? Because, you, you know, they're really easy to read and you can take all their money. I'm just kidding. But whether he was wearing his emotions on his sleeve or not, God knew he was angry and he was really angry. And so now we get this personification of sin that word for crouching in the original language is the word you would use for a predator. And what is it that predators are doing when they crouch? They hide and then they attack. And as we'll see, sin does both. And it goes on to be described as desiring us. This is the same word that's used in the previous chapter to describe Eve's desire for Adam and a wife's desire for her husband. 
And this word is used interchangeably in scripture to be a good desire and to be a bad desire. But here, the principle really is sin wants to own us. It wants to have us. It will stop at nothing to get a hold of this, a hold of us in this personification language that's, that's going on here. But there's something really important that we see going on here as well, though, is that God sees what's going on in Cain's heart, that he's angry, and God initiates, and God comes to him before this thing begins to escalate. And this is one of the first pictures we get to see of God's grace in Cain's life. God doesn't have to come to him, but he does, and he's trying to offer Cain a way out of this. In fact, it is inferred and it is stated here. There is a way out for you. You can make a choice about this. You can rule over this before it rules over you, or as other translations say, you can master this before it masters you. You can do this. And how does Cain respond? He ignores God's grace, invites his brother out to the field, and he kills him. And so God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother Abel? Now, he's God, right? He knows what has happened to Abel. So why is he doing this? And then we think back to what the Lord did with Adam and Eve. When they sinned, when sin entered the world, what did he do? Remember, they were hiding from him. And he said, where are you? He's God. He knows where they are. This, once again, is God coming in his grace to try to restore right relationship. And look how Cain responds. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. I don't know where he is. Can you talk to God like that? Should you talk to God like that? I mean, what's here? Some attitude, right? But what's not here? Attitude. Attitude in terms of remorse, sorrow, a willingness to take responsibility, even the beginning of repentance. None of that is here, just resentment. And so God wants to get, what have you done? Inviting right relationship, inviting confession, but clearly Cain's not gonna respond, so God necessarily has to punish him and judges him, rightfully so. And so now Cain is cursed. And we've already seen this happen in the previous chapter. The ground gets cursed when Satan, excuse me, when sin enters the world, and Satan gets cursed, and now Cain is cursed. And, and boy, this is really quite amazing. Because what God is saying here is work is no longer gonna work for you. You're gonna try to grow your food like you always have. It's not gonna work for you. And by the way, you are gonna wander the earth. You're gonna go from place to place. And, 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 and why does God keep coming to him and asking these questions and giving him chance after chance to own what he's done and ultimately to restore right relationship with, with God? Because he's trying to lead him towards repentance. Scripture teaches this over and over, but if we jump to the New Testament in Romans chapter two, it says this, 
Do you show contempt, which Cain is doing, for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because you see, God's grace and his mercy always, always precedes his judgment. I encourage you, whenever you read God rightfully judging brokenness and sin in the Bible, you look at what precedes that, and you precedes that. You will always find his grace and his mercy, chance after chance after chance. And Cain here is slapping God's hand proverbially away every time. In fact, we really do get a look into his heart with how he responds to this. Do you notice a common denominator here in Cain's response? My, I, me, me, I, I. This is all about him. Is he sorry? Well, yeah, he's sorry he got caught. Sorry for the consequences. Probably even regrets the consequences. Very clearly so from how he's responding. But does he repent? No, not at all. This is still life all about him. He's feeling sorry for himself, but there's no remorse here. Confronted with the reality of his brokenness, he won't own it. Do you know anyone like that? Are you like that? Am I? And Cain here is beginning to connect the dots on the consequences of what he's done. And he says, this is more than I can handle. And what he's really saying here is, don't drive me from your presence. Not only is he going to be lonely, he's gonna be completely alone. And he's now, to some degree, beginning to realize the significance of what that means. Do you know what hell is at its essence? It is being completely shut away from the presence of God. And Cain, by the way he's been living his life and the choices he's been making, has said over and over again with his choices, God, I want nothing to do with you. I can run my life just fine without you, which, by the way, is how we got here in the first place. Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and them deciding what is good and what is wrong or evil. And Cain is doing the same thing here. God, I can live life just fine without you until push comes to shove and he realizes what that really means. And so God after coming to Cain again and again, offering him a way out, offering to rescue him from the course he's on, and then even after he murders his, murders his brother, offering him a way back of repentance and forgiveness, slaps God's hand away again and again and again, so God finally gives him what he wants. And my friends, that is what hell is all about. Is God giving people what they keep saying they want, from slapping his hand away, proverbially, and from saying, God, I'm gonna live life on my own terms. God, I don't want to listen to you. God, I don't care what you have to say. God, I'm gonna do things my way. Time and time again, he offers us his grace and his mercy, but ultimately, if we keep saying, I don't want anything to do with you, he will give us exactly what we want. And that's what happens here with Cain. And yet, we still see God's grace even in his judgment because he promises to protect Cain. 
He puts a mark on him, which we have no idea what this is. Is this a tattoo that says, fear this, you know, on his arm, right? We don't know, but this is what we do know. God is protecting Cain. Is Cain getting a fair deal here with this judgment? Absolutely not. Because Cain killed his brother, doesn't he deserve to lose his life as well? That would be fair, wouldn't it? He kills his brother, so he should lose his life. No, he's getting far more than he deserves. God is preserving his life. Yes, he's punishing him, but he promises to preserve his life. It's, it's remarkable. And there, once again, is another play on words here. Nod means the land of wandering. So the wanderer is going to live in the land of wandering, or the vagabond is going to live in the land of vagabond, east of Eden. And once again, from here in the Old Testament, when God's people go east, things always go south. That is not a good direction. And time and time again, that will be used to illustrate God's people saying, I am going to live life on my terms and I want nothing to do with you. And then they reap what happens as a result of that. So let's step back from this. There's so much here for, for you and me. But here's one of the realities is sin is real. And in its personification, sin crouches. It hides. And it hides from us. It hides from us intellectually. Because you see, in our culture, when you're talking with people who don't know the Lord, oftentimes what you and I will hear is, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. And yet what Romans 12 in the New Testament reminds us is each one of you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why? Because we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We can look at the tree of life shooting in Pittsburgh and say that is an atrocity, which it is, and that is evil, which it was, and that is horrible. Yes, absolutely. And we can say that's what's wrong with the world. But what about when it comes to us and our part when it comes to brokenness? Easy to put our finger on that, but when it comes to us, all of a sudden, we're not quite so ready to buy into that. I'm basically a good person. And that's what religion does, is it empty religion divides the world into the good people and the bad people, but what Christianity teaches is, yeah, no, I'm the problem, and so are you. We all start out in the same place. We all start out broken because we all have a sin problem because at the core, we try to live our lives deciding what's right and what's wrong on our own. And therefore, one of the many ways that goes south is we make good things ultimate things in our life and they become distorted. Let's just look at some of the practical ones here in the passages we've been looking at. What happens when it comes to work? Work gets distorted so that we either don't do it, we, we're lazy, or we go to the other extreme and we make it an idol in our life. All of a sudden, work becomes what defines us. It becomes our identity. It becomes our sole purpose. And we become workaholics. And we live in a culture that in many ways applauds that and goes, yay, yeah, that's great. You should be busy with work. Do, work more, work more. Good thing becoming an ultimate thing. We do it with relationships. 
We we either decide because we've been hurt by the other broken people who live in this world that we're going to isolate ourselves, we're never going to let anyone get close to us, we don't want anyone to have anything to do with us, or we go to the other extreme and we look to our spouse or our friends or our coworkers or whoever's in our life, our family, for needs that they were never intended to meet. And so we elevate the people in our life to a place where they can't ever meet those needs. And that's a distortion of a good thing. Relationships, good thing the way God intended them. Work, good thing, the way God intended it. Sexuality, talked about here in this passage, a good thing. Sex is wonderful, intended to be between one man and one woman in a covenant marriage relationship for life. And yet our culture has taken that and broken that in every possible way and tried to define sexuality in every other way. Or we don't talk about this, but just one last example. How about the environment? We read here in Genesis that God created us to steward the environment, to care for it, to cultivate it, to harness the potential of it. And even that goes off the rails. And we go to the extreme of that where we abuse it and pollute it and take it for granted and misuse it, or we worship it and overemphasize it and we worship what was created instead of worshiping the creator. Do you see where this is going? And it's all because of sin of the brokenness in each one of us, where we all start out. Sin is a reality, and it not only hides, it attacks, because it always grows. What happens less than a generation after sin and brokenness enters the world? Cain murders his brother. That didn't even take a generation. And if you read further on in Genesis 4, you get to one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, and now murder is widespread. Violence is just, it's happening all the time. And he's bragging about these, this guy that he's killed who wronged him. And by the way, he's threatening his wives. There's probably domestic violence going on there. Did you hear wives, by the way? Now we have polygamy. And you see this brokenness continue to accelerate, and that's what sin does. It hides in the tall grass, it waits for us, it comes after us, and it grows if we don't deal with it. This is why when you read in Matthew chapter 5 or Matthew 19, when Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's not talking about self-mutilation, and he's not being literal, but what he is saying is you have to deal with sin drastically because it's so powerful. It looks like this. Evidently, this hunter shot this bull as light was fading, and it got dark, and he set up his tripod, took his picture, and look what the flash illuminated behind him. Wow. I think I'd stick to Frisbee golf after that, but... (laughs) Sin is not a pet, it is a predator. And it will come after us, and it always grows. We have to deal with it. It means we deal with it by owning it, for starters, which Cain was absolutely unwilling to do. We have to own it before we can actually disown it. And really, at its heart, what sin is, is substituting ourselves for God. But salvation is God substituting himself for us through Jesus dying on a cross and rising again from the dead to give us a brand new start, a change from the inside out, something that religion and trying harder and being a good person will never affect and will never be able to accomplish. Only through Jesus Christ 
Can you get a new heart? Can the core of you change so that you can be in right relationship with God, right relationship with other people, right relationship with land, right relationship with yourself? And it only comes through God's grace. And God's grace is not a license to sin. It is the escape from sin. And yet Cain, time and time again, chose to use it as a license to sin instead of a way out. Because there's always a way out. And this is a really important reality for us to understand. In the heat of the moment, God came to Cain and said, you have a choice. There really is a way out. You are not a victim here. You can choose to live rightly. You can choose to trust and obey me, and he doesn't. And scripture explicitly tells us this in one of my favorite verses. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized when I became a Jesus follower because it was so practical. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And it's true. Every time sin hides in the tall grass for you and me, every time it comes after us, even when we least expect it, there is always a way out. I absolutely believe this because I have lived it in my life and I have not taken the way out at times in my life. But it's a reality. And one of the ways we do battle with sin is with each other. That's why we need community. That's why we're constantly asking you to be involved and engaged in a community group or to be engaged and involved in discipleship, to give someone a license to ask you the hard questions in your life and to encourage you and to bless you because we need each other. And there are too many of us who, there is no one who has that kind of leeway in our lives. Not even our spouses for some of you who are married. That's hands off. You don't go there. And no wonder sin owns us when we do. We have to have safe people in our life who we let into our life. And one of the amazing messages in this passage, once again, and you will see this all through scripture, is God gives grace to everyone, even the unrepentant. Even after Cain murdered Abel, God still was showing him grace in order to lead him to repentance. And that's exactly who we want to be. It's one of the reasons why we do Advent Conspiracy and all the other things we do around here is because we are Jesus followers extending grace. That is our vision, to be a community of Jesus followers who extend grace. Not patting people on the back in their sin and saying, oh, that's okay, God will forgive that. No, grace is never a license to sin. Grace is the escape from sin. We don't abuse it. We cooperate and respond to it. Which brings us to the story we started with. So this guy comes around the corner of this trail and here's this cougar that has just killed this deer and it sees him and it turns to face him full on and it crouches like it's about to jump on him. And so what they tell you, they... (laughs) someone writing a book somewhere probably who's never faced this, 
is, you know, make yourself look big, yell, wave your arms, you know, make it look like it's a bad idea for the cougar to come at you. But also, if you can, to just slowly back up and show that you are going to leave. And he slowly backed up, and that cougar watched him from a crouch until he got around the corner, and then he ran. And that's what we do with sin. We run from it. It's, it's how we master it. And it's a choice we can make. You've heard us say this before, and it's true. It's a biblical reality, and it is a life reality. In the moment, your strongest desire may not be to trust and obey. God, that's why it's called temptation, right? And that's why it's called sin when you give into it. But your deepest desire is to trust and obey God if you know Jesus because you have been changed from the inside out. So you look for the way out and then you take it. So I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward. And this morning when you came in, you should have got one of these cards and on one side is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because I want to strongly encourage you to memorize this verse if you do not know this already. Because what the Lord will do in his amazing grace is he will bring this verse to mind sometimes right in the heat of the moment when you were trying to decide, mm, am I going to do what I think is right or what God says is right? And he will, he will bring this to mind at key times. But the other side of this is a picture of a predator of this cougar. And maybe there's something in your life you're going toe-to-toe with right now. It's something that just seems to have your number. Would you write that down here? Off to the sides, as always, we have our communion tables. Please feel the freedom, if the Spirit leads you to, to, to go take communion and remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. But leave this card as an offering. Or better yet, if you don't want to write anything down, you truly want to stay anonymous, then just leave the card. Or even better yet, keep the card and take it with you and put it on your fridge. Put it in your car and memorize this verse. Because God's grace is accessible and available for you. The question is, will you respond to it? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you were the God who gives us first and second and third and fourth and multiple chances to trust and obey you. Lord, would we respond to your grace? And as we respond to your grace, would we in turn extend that grace to others, even when they don't deserve it? Because we don't deserve your grace, and yet you give it to us. And Lord, that is the kind of living that transforms the world around us and makes your kingdom visible. So help us to live like that, because you are the way, and there is no other way but you. And so we celebrate that now in Jesus' name. In your name, amen. You know, when I've sang that song with you so many times, when, I, when I'm singing that line about impossible things, I'm thinking about, you know, miraculous healings and incredible answers to prayer. And, I, you know, I believe I'm an easy sell. I've just seen God do all that stuff. But the Spirit seemed to tell me, no, Jay, the heart of that, the impossible thing, is to trust and obey and follow me. It seems impossible at times, especially 
when sin is crouching and looking you in the eye and you know it wants you and you don't want to run away. But you can trust and obey and believe and follow God. Just like when he came to Cain and said, you can do this, I hope that you will take that message away this morning as well. You can trust and obey and follow Jesus, even when it seems like it's impossible, because he is the God of the impossible. James chapter 5 says to confess our sins to one another, and we don't practice that at times as a church and as individuals, because quite frankly, it's easier to just keep things to yourself, and sin grows in the dark, and Sometimes it's really difficult for whatever reason to let our people in. But you don't have to be on this journey alone. We have prayer teams off to the sides here. I know them personally. They are safe people. They would love to pray with you about anything in your life. Or come talk to me. But you can do this. God's will is that you do this. God wants to bless your life as you trust and obey and follow him, and I hope that you believe that. On your way out here, just to remind you, upstairs in room 208, we will have our evolution discussion forum. Hope you can grab a coffee and join us for that, but let me pray God's blessing over you as we prepare to go from here. Jesus, thank you for each person here, and thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who is questioning whether they know you as the one true God, they would settle that right now by inviting you into their lives as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, would we take you at your word? Would we believe you? That you offer a way out of sin through what you've done for us on the cross and you meet us in the moment and provide a way out. Would we look for that way out? and trust and obey you and follow you and believe you that your way is better. Thank you, Lord, for this sweet time we've had to be your church and to be together. We now go from here to make you visible to this world that so desperately needs you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, in your name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So go and live for him. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.